This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. This BFM Budget 2023 special is brought to you by Ma Singh. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Lee Chui Lin. We have been streaming Budget 2023 as it was being tabled uh, by Finance Minister Datuk Sri Tengku Zafrul Aziz. And there, there were, I think, as you would expect, a number of different interesting points that were brought up that we are going to get into later. Just for a quick summary, though, in case you missed it. Essentially, uh, Budget 2023, the allocation, um, the value is at 372.3 billion ringgit. Uh, this is versus 332 billion ringgit last year. Of that, um, 99 billion is being put aside for development, 5 billion allocated for COVID efforts, 2.5 billion, uh, meanwhile, is going to monthly JKM aid that is expected to benefit more than 450,000 households. Uh, the overall theme of Budget 2023 focused on the premise of three R's being responsive, responsible, and reformist. So, uh, responsive, the idea here is to be responsive to all challenges, to provide aid to all Malaysians, not just the B40, but including other groups like uh, the M40, women, youth, OKU, different segments of society. Uh, the second R is responsible. Uh, the idea here is to build the nation's resilience to face any crises in the future. The third reformist is changing the landscape of the country via strategic foreign investments. So, there's a lot to unpack um, and a lot of different initiatives, including, for example, uh, for M40 households, income tax being lowered by 2% for people earning between 50,000 uh, ringgit to 100,000 ringgit. Um, meanwhile, for Bantuan Keluarga Malaysia, there's a new category of aid. Um, in other words, households that earn below 2,500 ringgit that have more than five children will now get BKM of 2,500. Uh, there were other initiatives announced there as well. Um, if we bounce back to M40, an e-wallet credit worth 100 ringgit is going to be dispersed to those within this category. This is expected to benefit 8 million receivers. Um, there were also employment initiatives announced, a variety of them actually. A lot of it focused on youth as well as gig workers. Um, EPF contributions came up with voluntary EPF contributions being raised from 60,000 to 100,000 ringgit. Um, and just a lot more, as you would expect, education had a large allocation, so did health. So we're going to try... Um, and do our best to unpack as much of this as we can later. It is a, a big task every year. It gets split up uh, across the station. So as you would expect, I think this is going to be very much our focus over the next week. Joining me now to discuss this are Jagdev Singh, tax leader, and Marina Chemokta, deals partner of economics and policy at PwC Malaysia. Jagdev, Marina, welcome to the show. Hi, Lynn. Thanks for having us on the show. Hi, Lynn. Thanks. So let's start with uh, the theme of this year's budget, which was focused on three R's, being responsive, responsible and reformist. Uh, what did you both make of the broad strokes and agenda laid out within the theme itself? I think uh, even from the pre-budget, we know that uh, the minister talked about these three R's and even from budget 2022, uh, talk about recovery, resilience and reforms. Uh, what we could see that uh, it has been uh, a recovery phase in the last year and now that we're moving towards resilience and reforms and we could see that there are uh, quite a number of initiatives that have been taken and being announced uh, in terms of uh, 
you know, investment expenditure in uh, the economic sector, again, to ensure that growth is there and, again, certain reforms that have been announced in terms of, you know, how do we increase the participation of the different groups and the inclusivity that, that they mentioned before. Yeah, maybe if I just add on to that, um, I, I think the measures under the three categories are really uh, appropriate in the current times. Um, a lot of the measures under responsible are to deal with uh, the you know the day-to-day issues we have, uh, the the income disparity, the in, the increasing number of people that are falling into the M40 and B40 groups, etc. But at the same time, I think it is important for us to move ahead. Uh, whilst we deal with this, uh, you know, basic issues, we still have to move ahead, and therefore there are quite a number of uh, measures that are under um, that that are underlined under the uh, reform and uh, responsive uh, categories, and hopefully uh, some of them will actually uh, drive us ahead and make us more resilient uh, as we move forward. So overall, then, how would you say this year's budget differs in approach in comparison to last year, to budget twenty twenty two? Maybe if I, if I start off, uh, if you look at uh, a lot of the measures, um, you know, I think we have sort of moved away from uh, some, some of those necessities in dealing with the pandemic. Um, so in the last budget, we saw that a lot of the allocations, etc., were, uh, you know, direct measures in terms of uh, dealing with the pandemic itself. Uh, I don't think everything has gone away because uh, the you know the the need to support the B40 group and the M40 group, which actually is a big emphasis of the budget this time round, uh, is a continuation from uh, before. But uh, you know maybe we have also taken the opportunity uh, to sort of move ahead, and some of the measures that are announced are particularly a little bit more progressive. Uh, I think later on we can talk about, you know, the specifics, but things like, you know, it's interesting to see that the development expenditure uh, has gone up. And I think that has been something that uh, we have not seen for some time. So what stood out to each of you in terms of the initiatives that were announced? Were there anything, um, any particular announcements that you would have thought of as game changers? Uh, well, I think um, from my point of view, I think there were a lot of continued uh, policy support across the di- different demographics when we talk about uh, inclusivity as one of the key themes of this. Um, you know, it's not just about, uh, you know, sustaining lives and livelihoods, which was the theme from before, but how do we ensure that there's increase in productivity from the different groups of people? And of course, as a, I'm very happy to also hear that there are quite a lot of measures that were given to women and encouraging women to go back to the workforce and also encouraging in terms of the entrepreneurship across the different groups, including uh, the disabled groups as well. Again, um, you know, we're talking about improving the economic recovery and also going towards uh, growth uh, after the pandemic that we have. These are some of the measures that... Uh, and, and which are very encouraging for me to hear. And again, uh, we could also see throughout the announcements, uh, there's a lot of push towards digitalization and sustainability as well, that again would eventually lead to the productivity of the, the country. Yeah, so maybe a couple of things that uh, stood out for me. Um, you know, elevating hardcore poverty, uh, so I think we have always had a lot of measures like, you know, the direct cash handouts, which are 
probably the most effective way to reach out to the to the hardcore poor and also to the you know the rest of B40 and M40 groups. But it's interesting to see that in this budget, uh, there's a little bit more emphasis on trying to see how we can get these people out of that hardcore poor category. So there's a, a one billion ringgit allocation. And not all of that is coming just from the government. There's a fair bit that's coming from the GLCs as well. So it's interesting to see how the government is trying to move away from just cash handouts to one where they're supporting on a more broader base to get people out of that uh, hardcore poverty. I think that that's something that's quite interesting. Um, perhaps the other one uh, is, you know, I, I mentioned development expenditure. So if you look at the list of uh, infrastructure projects, there's, uh, you know, there's a good long list of them uh, that are going to be focused on uh, in, FI, in uh, 2023. And I think uh, that in itself is appropriate as we move out of the pandemic and we try to get into growth. The government has to play its part, and it's good to see that uh, there's a fair bit of money that's being allocated uh, towards that end. Um, I think maybe two other things that stood out for me as well. Uh, one is trying to get the GLCs and the GLICs to play a g- greater role in terms of driving uh, domestic direct investment. So there's a $50 billion overall ask from the GLCs and GLICs, out of which a big chunk of that, about $45 billion, is to you know drive uh, direct domestic investments, and I think that's something which is important because uh, you know as you would have seen from the reported numbers, we we have fared well as far as FDIs are concerned, uh, particularly this year. But domestic investments has always been a challenge, and you know the government can only do so much. So maybe the one indirect way is to you know get the GLCs and the GLICs to play a bigger role, and then maybe the last point is you know. While it's a very brief announcement that, uh, you know, Pengarang is going to be regarded as a special zone, it's interesting to see if that is a pivot towards a new approach of creating these uh, special zones uh, to encourage uh, economic activity. Yeah, so those are a couple of things that probably stand out. Yeah, probably just building upon what uh, Jack was saying, I think in reality, um, you know, Malaysia's economy is made up of a lot of SMEs. And I think what was also interesting is how they're encouraging the smaller uh, craft industries, for example, how can some of the local uh, companies can work closely with the hotels to build up the creative industry in the SMEs. And again, to avoid more grant entrepreneurs, but actually encourage um uh, more genuine entrepreneurs to grow and, and develop in, in this country. Before we take a break, I wanted to look at the larger allocations within the 372.3 billion ringgit here. Uh, that included 99 billion for development, 55.6 billion for education, 36.1 billion for health, 5 billion uh, of which allocated for COVID efforts. Um, if we look at where we're at nationally, I suppose. How does this stack up against the country's more pressing concerns or needs at the moment? I think like what uh, Jack did mention uh, earlier, that the focus of this year's budget is more towards building up the, the economic sector. And you could see that large chunk of the development expenditure is uh, towards that. Uh, there are still some elements of uh, allocation for the COVID, uh, COVID management and even some other healthcare and and uh, a lot of focus has been given towards the education as well as the healthcare sector, mainly due to you know some of the effects, the after effects of what happened during the pandemic last year. Fifty five billions uh, towards education, again, is uh, also to 
encourage more long-term uh, employment of our graduates and of, you know they will even focus on the KVET uh, programs as well, not just our, your typical uh, graduates. And in terms of uh, healthcare, again, uh, it, there's a lot more encouragement in terms of increased allocations toward the professional services and some of the uh, supplies and services. I think we've seen that perhaps um, there were not as much investment in this uh, healthcare sector and this is encouraging to see in terms of how we compare in terms of healthcare expenditure per, per GDP when we look, uh, compare it to other countries as well. So um, this is something that we kind of circled earlier in our conversation because there does seem to be a conscious effort to offer reliefs or incentives for the M40. And this is something that's actually raised very often in conversation on uh, our show, among other places, whether or not the budget accounts for the M40. This is also coming as worries increase about a potential B60. Would you both say that the budget does enough in this regard? Well, I think uh, on a personal basis as well, we know that there's an increased uh, cost of living. And I think the question here is you know, whether what's enough or not enough, but it's the, the implementation and how, how it will actually reach to, to the different groups. I think what's, um, you know, when we talk about impactful budget, it actually boils down to, you know, how do we, you know, ensure effective implementation that the right groups are getting. And... Um, of of course, it's it's about you know, as humans, maybe it's never enough, <laughs> but uh, at the same time, uh, you know, for government needs to ensure that there's a certain balance when it comes to what is the long term benefits and short term impacts, and how we can help uh, some of these uh, groups uh, cope with the cost of living. I think some of the discussions about targeted subsidies that have been uh, mentioned uh, before and have been also debated, uh, has been mentioned. Uh, but again, um, maybe some of the details are probably uh, something that we will look out for. Uh, apart from that, um, there is uh, this uh, concern about you know the urban versus the rural when you talk about the B40 and the M40. Uh, what does it really mean? How does it differ? Because you know potentially you know being in the urban area, uh, and things are more expensive and, and how does this subsidy actually help some of the urban poor? Yeah, I I think what, uh, you know, the budget has cleverly done is try to segmentalize, um, you know, the B40 and M40 into smaller groups so that we can deal with it a little bit more effectively. You can see that, uh, you know, for the B40 and particularly the hardcore poor, uh, where they get monthly payments from the Jabatan, Jabatan Kebajikan, the government has actually allocated an additional uh, billion ringgit uh, to that uh, initiative. But, uh, you know, it's also interesting to see, I mean, we'll have to get into the details of it to understand, but it's interesting to see that uh, the overall allocation uh, for the Bantuan Keluarga Malaysia uh, is actually reduced from about 8.2 billion to about 7.8 billion. And the number of recipients has also reduced. Uh, so I'm not sure whether that's uh, an indication of there are fewer people that fall into the category, but any evidence tells us that I don't think that's the case. So um, it, it'd be you know, uh, interesting to see how, um, you know, that, how the various measures over the years has helped us uh, in that regard. Um, and then, you know, when I talk about segmentalization, I think uh, as we move up into the M40, and I think that's a group that, does need increasing help, particularly with the you know the cost of living that we have today. Um, the government has 
attempted to provide some support by reducing the uh, the, the tax impact on them. So there's a two percentage point reductions in terms of personal tax mm. uh, that will particularly benefit the uh, M40 group because you know income up to about uh, twelve thousand now uh, you still fall under the M40 category. And I think uh, that will give them about a thousand ringgit uh, of additional benefit coming out of that. So on that then, this 2%, I think it was one of the the major personal tax announcements. Um, Do you see this as being significant and and how will it impact the country's tax base, which I think is always the corresponding question? Yeah, the first place I looked at was what was the impact going to be in terms of the overall personal tax collection. Uh, it looks like the government is still uh, projecting an increase in terms of the uh, personal tax collection from about 30 billion to 33 billion. So obviously, I think this is a reflection of, uh, you know, maybe greater employability and also wages that have increased uh, broadly, right? Uh, and therefore, the government's uh, tax collection may not be impacted. The finance minister mentioned that the, the direct impact of this is about 800 million uh, that will go into the economy. Uh, as a result of this uh, reduction. And, you know, if you then um, take it down to what it means for the individuals, uh, for someone earning up to 100,000, between 50,000 to 100,000, they will see up to a 1,000 ringgit benefit. Uh, So their tax bill will go down by a 1,000 ringgit. Uh, And uh, if you are earning below that, obviously this thing doesn't really impact you. Um, There is also a consolidation of the tax brackets uh, at the higher levels, the 250000 uh, up to 600000 And uh, so if you're earning in that higher income group, you still do get a benefit, but it's a much reduced benefit of about 250 ringgit. So I think it's fairly cleverly crafted, I must say, that uh, you know, the, the target audience is still very much the M40 group. So the minister um, has also spoken, this is not today, but he has spoken previously and often in recent months about the weight of subsidies on our country's economy, something that has recurred. Um, What did the budget reflect in this area? Um, Again, uh, when we talk about subsidies, like I just mentioned uh, earlier, uh, like you rightfully mentioned, he's talked about uh, different targeted subsidies. And again, we could see that a lot of the subsidies in the, um, what do you call that? The the goods, uh, the, the, um, the, the, sorry, the, yeah, goods for the people, uh, that those are still continuing. But I guess, um, you know, what we need to ensure is the sustainability of the government's uh, expenditure when it comes to uh, some of these subsidies. So, um, yeah. So I think uh, if, you, if you then look at the numbers, right, um, the subsidies are still going to cost us about $55 billion, uh, versus I think the projection for the current year, which is about close to $80 billion, uh, of subsidies. And probably that's a reflection of, you know, uh, reduction in some of the key commodity prices uh, out there and hence the lower subsidy. Um, maybe I think uh, there was some, some expectation of subsidy rationalization. Uh, that didn't quite come across, I must say. Uh, there is uh, some level of tightening, like you know, uh, making sure that only uh, Malaysians enjoy those subsidies and there's less leakages, uh, etc. But uh, no clear direction that you know there's going to be um, a more targeted approach to subsidies uh, that has been sort of uh, talked about in the past as well.
So we've been hearing recently uh, in that same vein about our country's income and specifically debt levels. This was um, part and parcel of a recent announcement, really. So simply put, based on this budget overall, where are we getting the money from? Uh, Again, uh, when we talk about, uh, when we look at the numbers and the fiscal outlook that they're showing at, um, there is a projection of uh, increasing uh, tax tax revenue from some of the economic sector. Um, mainly due to the economic growth uh, projection projection that they have put up. Uh, again, uh, probably also you know, some of the dividends that they are getting from petroleum and, and all of that. So, uh, yes, these are some of the measures that they are looking at in terms of the corporate tax and then where our recovery is uh, going towards. Yeah, um, yeah, maybe just adding on to what Marina uh, has said. Um, I think... I think uh, Interesting to see that there is, uh, you know, a projected increase in terms of tax revenues across the board. Uh, all the categories of uh, tax revenues, they are projecting an increase other than petroleum income tax. And rightfully so, I think, because, uh, you know, petrol price has come off uh, the, the all-time highs, right? Um, but I think also important to uh, look at the comparison. So the actual numbers for 2022 in terms of government revenue, are actually much higher across the board compared to what was projected in the budget a year ago. And I think that's a reflection of, you know, uh, perhaps the economic growth that we have seen uh, so far this year, um, as well as the increase in commodity prices uh, uh, again, uh, you know, in the previous months. So uh, on an overall basis, I think uh, they're projecting uh, about a 7 billion increase uh, in terms of the uh, tax revenues. And uh, over, uh, whilst there's a you know, reduction in overall revenues, uh, I think that, that is fair because uh, this year we have uh, heard about the $25 billion, uh, special dividend from uh, Petronas and there is uh, no such uh, amount that is being built into the 2023 budget for now. Uh, so um, I, I think it's interesting um, to, to, to see how it pans out over uh, 2023 Given that 2022 was a very strong performance, uh, 2023, I think the outlook seems to be good, but it really depends on you know the the, the headwinds that we hear about uh, globally as well. So we touched on the subject of handouts earlier and cash aid, and we did receive an anonymous message who said, um, so many handouts to firefight increasing poverty, but I'm also worried about how it would be funded. Uh, it looks like giving fish, but not much teaching people how to fish. And I think um, in some ways that reflects the the sentiment that sometimes one-off cash handouts, they get mixed responses, right? Because some people think they're necessary, others feel they're not long-term enough. Um, If we look at the budget, are there enough measures that balance the long and short term when it comes to our welfare needs? I suppose um, we cannot run away from cash handouts because that's the only way to reach, uh, you know, this targeted group of people. Uh, You know, you can cut taxes, etc., but they don't pay taxes, so it wouldn't actually reach them. And I don't think we are alone in terms of, you know, giving cash handouts. Even, you know, the more developed countries compared to us like Singapore, uh, also practices this uh, consistently. Uh, almost every year, they, they have schemes to sort of give handouts as well. I think the important thing is trying to balance that over time. And it's good to see that in this year's budget, like I mentioned before, uh, there is an increasing allocation in terms of trying to get people out of this uh, you know category where they need to rely on handouts. Um, and hopefully in the coming budgets, we will see uh, more and more 
spent on that rather than, you know, just the handouts. So that way, uh, over time, we might be able to sort of transform uh, the, the need for large-scale handouts to one where people uh, have become more self- self-sufficient and we don't really need so much of handouts. Yeah, so I think it's a balance again, what is a short-term, more medium-term uh, measures when it comes to uh, spending on you know upskilling and education that we could see one of the biggest allocation and there was also this mention on the TVET uh, spending and how they want to reform certain sectors and include be more inclusive in terms of how can some of these uh, new workers uh, be involved in and not be left behind when it comes to digitalization of these sectors hoping that it will open up more uh, to these lower income groups and the opportunities for them to again get out of poverty and less reliant on cash handouts. We touched on tax uh, earlier before the news. There's also a tax exemption for women returning to work from 2023 to 2028. Uh, what can you tell us about this? There's not a lot of details on that. Yeah, uh, it was a one-liner. Yes, uh, I know. Uh, yeah, uh, but this is not new. Uh, so it has been there. It'll be interesting to see the details of it, and you know what uh, to to what extent it's able to reach out to you know the people who benefit. Um, you know, the last statistics I saw uh, sometime in 2020, I think they compiled the number of people who have benefited from these uh, arrangements. There was just over 2,000 uh, women who actually registered for this. Uh, so it is actually a very targeted one, but I think, um, you know, really needed in today's environment where we see great resignation, uh, you know, brain drain uh, overseas and all of that. So we need all hands on deck. And I think uh, this is really something that's interesting. Uh, we, I mean, we as a firm as well, I think we are very interested to, you know, see uh, if more, more women can come back to work. And I think good to see that the government is actually supporting that. Yeah, it probably comes hand in hand with some of the other measures when we talk about support with uh, daycares and mm-hmm. childcare, because that would certainly alleviate some of the burdens that, that the woman might have. And again, the emphasis and the role that the companies play in encouraging women to come to work. I think they mentioned as well how the uh, women should be on board and he even joked about, you know, women to be in the, as the wakira right yet. But essentially what uh, we've seen, uh, even as a firm, is when there are more women in leadership position that encourages more inclusivity and diversity within the workplace. And hopefully that also encourages more women participation uh, you know, apart from the fiscal incentives that have been provided. Meanwhile, um, still on tax, for businesses, there will be a decrease of income tax rates from 17% to 15% for the first uh, 100,000 ringgit, I believe. Um, can you talk to us about this? Yeah, that's uh, that's really targeted at the SMEs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is not to, you know, so you have to fall within the definition of SMEs to be able to enjoy that. Um, I think uh, over the years, what the government has been doing is to see how to, you know, um, you know, reduce the tax impact on the SMEs. And therefore, uh, as compared to the headline tax rate of 24%, the SMEs pay uh, currently 17% on their first 600000 of income. Um, you know, there were a couple of ways that the government could have gone about uh, doing this. But I think they have uh, taken an option, which to me is a lot more meaningful. Uh, which is to create a separate bracket for the first 100,000 um, as opposed to reducing the overall tax rate. Because, you know, uh, that way your reach is going to be more to the micro SMEs that are making 100,000 uh, or less. They pay even lesser at 15%. 
So I think uh, the approach taken here um, is very targeted and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, it will really be able to benefit the, the, the micro SMEs uh, as a subset of the overall uh, SME category. So if we move on to retirement, because retirement and concerns around retirement have been in focus for some time, the budget did reflect that, uh, including the allocation of 30 million ringgit to the ISARAAN program, uh, also voluntary EPF contributions being raised to 100,000. Do you think this is enough to reflect the, the need to create a strong retirement safety net for Malaysians? Yeah, I think last year we spoke a lot about how uh, EPFs were being used to help uh, elevate some of the burden uh, that the pandemic has has approached. But uh, essentially, this is again uh, trying to encourage more financial savings uh, towards the old age. I think Malaysia and also just like other countries, uh, we are having an aging population. And a, a lot of these social safety nets are very, very important. And we need to start to ensure that we would not fall into the trap in the future. I think the other bit that um, we are thinking about, I think the government has spoken about is how, you know, being in the gig economy as well, um, you know, what is the social safety nets for some of these groups, uh, you know, where it's not uh, have EPF contribution. So this voluntary EPF contribution, again, can encourage that social safety net uh, measures for the country. So just building on what Marina said, I think uh, it's, it's good to see, you know, the government playing a bigger role in terms of, you know, creating the social safety net for, you know, the people who may not be able to do that themselves. Um, you know, maybe looking at it uh, slightly differently, um, the increase from 60,000 to 100,000 is definitely welcome. But uh, given that, you know, the withdrawals and the impact of the reduced contributions, uh, you know, over the pandemic period, has, you know, uh, had about 155 billion impact on EPF. Uh, it would have been nice to see, you know, more encouragement for employees uh, to contribute additional amounts to rebuild back uh, some of their EPF savings. And to me, one way of uh, doing that would have been to give uh, tax deduction for a higher amount compared to the current 4,000 ringgit that you get uh, for contributions to EPF. So that way, you know, it wouldn't have been a total burden on the government to do that. Um, you know, you'd be encouraging people to see if that they have withdrawn uh, from EPF over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, that there should be some motivation for them to put the money back and the government will support them by giving them additional uh, tax breaks. Uh, so I think that that would have been nice to see in the budget, but uh, perhaps, uh, you know, balancing everything, um, you know, that, that isn't quite there. So there were also a variety of grants, loans and alternative financing provided to encourage entrepreneurship of the, and also cutting across a variety of different groups, right, in these granting of, or rather in these programs. What were some of the key ones that stood out to you? Um, uh, I think there were a lot of uh, measures given to encourage entrepreneurship of, of different, I think there were a lot of startups and digital uh, um, economy type uh, businesses as well that's being encouraged and again this is uh, very encouraging because when we talk about digital economy it reaches more uh, not just uh, you know confined to this, the Malaysian economy only so uh, again uh, at the end of the day uh, like I mentioned earlier on during this uh, session is that 
what's most important is the effective implementation because what we want to avoid is to have a lot more grant entrepreneurs but you know actually grow some of these genuine uh, entrepreneurs so maybe you know two two categories uh, here one is in terms of you know uh, the sectors of the economy that actually really need it so for example uh, the tourism sector so there are quite a few grants uh, given to the tourism sector as they rebuild back uh, post-pandemic. And I think that's important. But uh, more importantly, as we, as we try to drive growth, uh, it is important for us to support um, you know, startups, uh, digital and technology-based companies, etc. And uh, you know, there is an impact fund that is announced whereby the GLCs and the GLICs again will play a role by taking up equity in uh, the digital and technology startups. So I think this is uh, something that is uh, really welcome. If you look at, you know, overall in the past, when we talk about budget, we talk about incentives. And, uh, you know, you can see that uh, we are fairly light in terms of incentives here, other than renewal of incentives. Um, it's, it's also a reflection of how uh, things have changed. And even if you take, uh, you know, Singapore, for example, uh, they have been attracting a lot of these uh, startups there by taking up equity interests uh, in these startups. And perhaps, you know, we are, we are starting slowly by, you know, allocating some money under this impact fund uh, to actually invest in these businesses. And hopefully that's the uh, directional flow uh, moving ahead, whereby uh, the government either directly or indirectly tries to invest in some of these, uh, you know, new technology, digital startup companies. And, you know, we can hopefully see uh, more champions coming out of uh, Malaysia. Yeah, and I think there were also a lot of uh, measures, not just directly to entrepreneurs themselves, but in terms of the development of the, the startup ecosystem. I think they were talking about uh, from the talent front, uh, the upskilling in terms of the ecosystem with, with Cradle and, and, and all the R&D and innovation uh, that are being put in place. Again, in terms of the balance um, of having to... Uh, develop the ecosystem to encourage more digital entrepreneurs and startups are again uh, quite very encouraging. So there were some employment incentives um, that I'd like to focus on um, and it was a mixed bag. So for instance, um, under SOXO, there are employment incentives for youths aged between 18 to, 30, 18 to 30 who have been out of a job for more than three months uh, as well as TVET graduates. What's your take on this? Um, yeah, again, um, these incentives are probably a more short-term measure to, again, alleviate some of the issues or some of those who are being, um, you know, laid off and because it's those who have been out of job for more than three months. Because at the end of the day, we also see that in terms of the industry demand, because of the great resignation, there are a lot of job opportunities out there. And I think they were also the MyStep program that the government announced last year that helped with some of these job placement. So at the end of the day, when we talk about um, employment, employability, uh, what's more important is the in measures that are being put in to ensure that they have job placements uh, and to ensure that they are not out of job for more than three months. Because again, uh, this would not be very sustainable. Whether it is enough for them to sustain as well is probably uh, another question because again, under SOXO incentives, um, is probably just to elevate uh, very short-term uh, measures. 
Separately, another employment initiative extended specifically to the hiring of OKU Orang Asli former convicts and um, again, women that return to the workplace. Can you talk to us about the importance of having incentives for these groups of people? I think the incentives are really important, but uh, you know sometimes we need to think about it in the whole ecosystem as well. Whether there's you no, know, there's the right infrastructure uh, and support system in place to encourage some of these groups to come back uh, to work. For example, in terms of hiring of OKU, yes, uh, we've we heard about you know more companies uh, hiring them, but you know whether the workplace is designed and helped OKUs to be able to work in those places. Similarly, just like the women uh, incentives as well, whether there's support in terms of you know some of the daycares. So it needs to come hand in hand uh, because again, it's uh, not a very straightforward uh, measure when it comes to you know encouraging some of these groups to come back to work. Major. Yeah, maybe you know, just um, adding on to what Marina said. I think I think it's right. We need uh, a proper ecosystem for these people to come back to work. The incentives are granted to employers. I think that's the way that is currently structured. And again, it is not new. Uh, it has been there. It has been enhanced a number of times. Um, and I suppose we have to continue enhancing it because uh, you know the take up rates may not be you know as much as we'd like it to be. Uh, maybe the slightly different way of thinking uh, through this is um, not just looking at it in terms of a particular employer getting that incentive because what you want to do is to have these people uh, you know being skilled up that they can gain employment rather than you know just uh, relying on that one employer gaining a benefit by employing them so how do we encourage um, you know companies out there to spend money on upskilling uh, or even in some cases, scaling up these people uh, so that they can gain employment. And perhaps maybe the incentives need to reach a little bit beyond the employer-employee relationship uh, to see how they can you know, be seen more as uh, you know, uh, a, a social initiative undertaken by these companies and uh, you know, the companies uh, can get some tax breaks uh, for doing that. There are also similar incentives being offered for employers who replace uh, their foreign workforce with locals and the aim here is to create more jobs locally. Does this make sense for our economy and how our labour force is structured? Again, uh, when we talk about uh, economic reforms and how the country needs to move uh, towards a higher economic complexity and value add and encouraging more automation, innovation, digitalization. I mean, this has been talked about for years and um, there has always been um, a talk of war for some of the companies when it comes to how do I automate and have reduced reliance on foreign workers and hire more local workers, uh, more at a more higher skill uh, level uh, because that is at the end of the day what would help push the country's economic competitiveness and encourage more investors to come and see Malaysia as a place to invest uh, not as a cheap place to do work to do business so again um, both uh, the, the ecosystem of uh, encouraging the, all the industry and sectors to move up the value chain to increase their productivity, either investment through digitalization, and at the end of the day, have the right talent locally to support this industry. That is the ultimate uh, outcome that we want for the country. And uh, again, this would be a journey that we need to go through. Yeah, if if I heard correctly, the finance minister said that if you employ more foreign workers, you'll have to pay a higher levy. 
so you can see that that's, uh, you know, discouraging companies to, you know, employ foreign workers and, you know, uh, Lynn, like what you mentioned, the other measure as well. Uh, but I suppose we cannot totally not rely on foreign workers because uh, there are sectors where, you know, we will not have Malaysians wanting to work in those sectors. Um, and again, uh, there is also shortage in certain areas where we will, we, it will take us some time to scale up our people and want, uh, you know, uh, have them willing to work in those sectors. So until then, we'll still have to actually rely on foreign workers. But it's good to see that, you know, uh, the government has indicated directionally where it is going and uh, that, you know, we are, we are broadly trying to discourage companies from just relying on cheap labor or cheap foreign labor by trying to move towards employing Malaysians or um, like what Marina said, trying to, you know, digitalize or automate their businesses, etc. So you have less overall reliance uh, on labor. We have a question from a listener, Darmish, who says, I heard a number of incentives or initiatives for the self-employed. So if I'm currently employed by a company, but I'm also a freelancer or gig worker, do I qualify for these? Uh, again, when it comes to um, some of the implementation uh, details, uh, it is it's not quite uh, clear uh, to us right now. Um, uh, although there were mentions of, uh, the last year about having more than one jobs uh, to sustain some of the rising cost of living. Um, yeah, so can't quite, quite, quite yeah. answer that in a straightforward. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I agree, Marina. I think, I think uh, you know, the way I read it is a lot of those measures are probably targeted at those who are really just self-employed um, as compared to those who, are, who have two jobs, three jobs, etc. I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think that has been probably looked at in detail and try to be addressed. Uh, I think I think important that we address people who don't even have a single job and are relying on the gig economy to earn a living um, versus those who have a steady job but are trying to make uh, an additional Extra. yeah additional uh, income. Yep. Now, of course, a big focus ahead of budget was uh, flood relief and whether there would be enough there. So what we know now is there's 15 billion ringgit allocated for that. Do you see the breakdown as comprehensive and forward-looking enough to manage floods in the long term? Yeah, it has been uh, quite unfortunate for the country to be facing um, you know, this flood uh, disasters and, and you know, how certain people are displaced because of this. And uh, again, the government has approached it in terms of uh, flood relief uh, directly to, to, to some of the victims. But at the end of the day, it's also important to address this at a more long-term and forward-looking, like you mentioned earlier. Then beyond flood relief, um, the government is approaching it to, you know, through local town planning as well in terms of their flood mitigation local, local plan. And they talk about certain green agenda with the river issues. And at the end of the day, it's more important to how we can minimise some of this impact of climate change. Uh, and of course, uh, I think there are certain allocations as well that we've seen uh, to, to disaster management and disaster resilience. And um, more importantly, uh, moving forward, the infrastructure that we will be spending uh, needs to take into account uh, disaster resilience uh, as well as, you know, to also put in more nature-based solutions because, you know, again, Malaysia is very blessed with all our natural green our forestry and, and mangroves. Uh, again, this can be used as uh, mitigating factors. 
So the environment and the climate crisis are obviously matters of major concern. You referenced it there as well. And to that end, above and beyond flood relief, there were a number of things announced that includes the green investment tax allowance, green investment tax exemption, carbon tax. Uh, overall, tell us about this and do these measures related to a greener economy do enough? Uh, it's it's good to see that uh, you know there's quite a fair bit of the budget, particularly towards the end, that focuses on the various uh, ESG initiatives. I would say probably more than what we have seen in previous budgets. Uh, some of the tax incentives uh, they are again not new. Maybe we are a little bit ahead of time, but uh, as you know, there's a big push now for companies to you know uh, adopt some of these uh, you know green related uh, you know outcomes. Um, these incentives will be very helpful in terms of uh, driving that. But again, uh, also good to see that, uh, you know, what the government announced last year in terms of uh, EV vehicles and the whole infrastructure around EV uh, continues to receive emphasis as we move forward. So the, uh, you know, on cars, the uh, duty exemptions are going to be extended for another two years, which I think is important because, uh, you know, whilst adoption has been there, uh, not as fast as we would like it to be, but uh, you you need to you know spend some money or get uh, the private sector to spend some money in terms of building up that infrastructure uh, for com- for for people to get comfortable uh, in buying uh, EVs. Um, interesting uh, mention of carbon tax. So um, you know whilst the whilst the finance minister says that we're evaluating uh, implementation of carbon tax. Uh, this is directionally the way that a number of countries are going. And, uh, you know, whilst it serves the purpose of, you know, being ESG friendly, uh, it is also an additional source of revenue for the government. So Singapore, I think uh, they've got a carbon tax in place. They're looking at about a billion Sing dollars of revenue over a five-year period. Uh, and they expect that to grow exponentially. So I think uh, some of the initiatives that have been announced uh, in terms of the uh, ESG uh, area, I think are really relevant and timely. And, uh, you know, maybe the one ask is um, a lot of times this, um, these announcements are put out there. Uh, we don't have enough details. And by the time the details come out, maybe it takes quite a bit of time. So it'd be good to see if these details can come out quickly because many of these things, they are time, time sensitive. We, should, we need to drive them uh, quickly. And uh, as long as, you know, the details are there, companies can avail themselves to some of these announcements. Uh, I'm sure that they, there will be a big push uh, to move towards this agenda. I wanted to touch on a um, an industry that was very hard hit by the pandemic, and that's tourism. So there's been 200 million ringgit allocated for tourism here with a focus on, uh, Marina, you mentioned this earlier, highlighting local products, local crafts. Uh, are you optimistic that this will help the tourism industry recover? I think any measures uh, at, at this point uh, will help, I think. And uh, whether there was also a mention uh, in the budget that they're looking towards more high-value tourism as well and encouraging uh, ecotourism and, we you know, the islands that we have with scuba divings and all that. And I think he gave an example about how some of the local hotels can work with local arts and crafts. I think it goes to the wider uh government's push in the Chuang Malaysian plan in improving the creative industry as well. So I think it works hand in hand when it comes to tourism, uh, creativity and uh, culture uh, and how this uh, creates a better ecosystem to put Malaysia on the map and encourage more tourism to come in, especially after the pandemic. 
I think uh, there were a lot of initiatives that were being done and encouragement of uh, not just uh, domestic tourism. I think we could see more direct flights, international flights. Uh, these are, again, uh, d different types of measures that help to recover the tourism sector. And also, I think uh, some good uh, tax breaks to sort of complement, uh, you know, some of the things that Marina has mentioned. So there's the 100% tax exemption. Uh, they're also looking at reinvestment allowance for the hotel and tourism sector. I think that uh, that all, all these things can play an important role. And to encourage uh, domestic tourism and spending on, you know, uh, on, on, on art and culture, uh, I think the vouchers uh, will help as well. So for food security, uh, if we just kind of move through the ministries, a billion ringgit has been allocated for agro-food grants, focusing on technology and also actually encouraging people to grow their own food. Do you see this changing our approach to agriculture and food security? Yeah, I think uh, the, the pandemic has taught us that you know, supply chain resilience is important and that has also uh, brought about the food security uh, topic quite a bit from from last year and at and you know even malaysian economic structure uh, a lot of it comes from agriculture but how do we increase the productivity because when it comes to agriculture uh, as a sector in itself uh, not only because of its importance but the contribution to the gdp and uh, there were a lot of encouraging measures when it comes to agri-tech as well uh, encouragement of uh, you know usage of technology, the data impact as well as upskilling of the local farmers and how to use the agri-tech. So again, uh, more of the ecosystem uh, development approach rather than a one-off. You know, how do I make sure that the farmers grow more food? And you know, and there's also a mention about the logistic side of things again to improve some of these uh, measures. I think also the pandemic has taught us, uh, you know, to focus a little bit on security on a broader basis. So food security is certainly one area that uh, the finance minister covered. And like what Marina said, uh, various measures around that. Uh, but also interesting to see that the government is focused on cybersecurity. Mm. Um, and I think uh, he, he referred to, you know, the setting up of a body to deal with scams. Uh, very topical, right? Uh, because we hear that every day. So this whole security agenda... Uh, is is good to see that it's gaining attention uh, from the government, and hopefully, uh, you know, we expand that to cover as many different areas where it uh, it is important for us as a nation. We have a WhatsApp from May who simply asks, "What about allocation for health? Not much mentioned there." So, May, when it comes to health, um, from what I can gather anyway, a large chunk went towards uh, COVID-19 vaccines, improvement of facilities. There was also a focus, though, on mental health as well as rare diseases. Uh, what do you make of the allocations towards the health ministry? Uh, I thought they were quite... Um, uh, a lot of... Uh, quite a bit of focus on, on the healthcare sector. And uh, again, uh, a lot of things that were mentioned about improving some of the facilities are probably things that will we needed from from before it's high time that the the improvements are being done uh and i could I mean, there were a lot of announcements as well about how the kkm is going towards digitalization and embracing some of this new technology that has been announced in the last couple of days so again um yeah more, more focus about a preventative uh, healthcare as well when you talk about um rare, rare diseases and as well as a mental wellness again trying to have a broader approach towards the healthcare sector.
Yeah, I think I think it has gained a lot of importance. It's, in fact, if you look at it uh, in terms of the ministries, it has got the largest increase in terms of allocation. So infrastructure um, is something else we should talk about. $16.5 billion was allocated, including for major projects like the Pan Borneo Highway, the RTS Link. What does this indicate about the government's plans for our infrastructure network or transportation network in some ways? Um. Public uh, road and transport infrastructure has always been seen as a you know more longer term investment that also benefits the wider socio-economic growth, not just by the particular city, but the connectivity that it has from one city to another and how it can actually de- develop the entire economic um, agglomeration and create jobs along the ways. So again, uh, you know, we are hoping that you know, the allocation for some of this public infrastructure can help with uh, the spillover effects and create uh, more new t- uh, towns, new nodes, and again, uh, jobs uh, along the alignment and again, spread the development of the urban city centre towards the rural area as well. So in terms of the digital economy, there were a few takeaways. Uh, 1.3 billion ringgit for the 5G expansion by DNB, 700 million ringgit to increase connectivity in households and schools. And I think, um, you know, this is part and parcel of the the umbrella, right, of trying to encourage digital growth in our country, which is something we've talked about quite a bit as well. Uh, was this 1.3 billion, 700 million a sufficient investment in this area? I, w- I suppose these are some of the baseline needs. Um, you know, I mean, the world is very rapidly uh, moving towards 5G and we can't be left behind. And also, um, you know, the, the, the second measure, measure that you mentioned, Lynn, is, uh, you know, to deal with the gap in terms of, you know, access uh, to, to digital and technology by some of those uh, sectors of our people, right? Um, but I think what is needed is how, what, what do we need to do to drive us to the next level? And perhaps uh, a little bit more needs to be done in that space um, rather than, you know, just dealing with the uh, baseline issues. And it'll be good to see, you know, what else can we do in that space. I think there, there are some other measures that we covered earlier, uh, like trying to get companies to invest more in the digital and technology space um, and looking at that as a wider agenda for the country. But uh, yes, I think what you mentioned is probably more the baseline uh, matters. Yeah, I think that is aligned to what the my digital aspiration is talking about. That you know, digital infrastructure is just an enabler. Uh, it needs to give access, but uh, you know, whilst that's important, it opens up the market uh, to to more people. I think there was a PwC study that uh, we did um, in terms of globally that with connectivity, you can actually help with poverty eradication because it opens up the market, it creates more jobs and potential income. So again, uh, it's not meant to just be seen as an IT infrastructure development, but rather how can we actually move the uh, country and the economic structure towards more uh, resilient and to, to, to have more play in the regional platform as well as the global platform. So another major focus was on encouraging strategic FDI. This was uh, one of the the central thrusts, actually, of the three R's. What did the budget contain on this front and what impact do you see it having? I think FDIs uh, is always something that we focus on. And uh, I must say that we have done well uh, this year, particularly in terms of uh, attracting FDIs. Um, as far as the budget is concerned as to whether we need to introduce new incentives, etc., um, there may not be a need 
uh, immediately to do that. I think what the government has done is the existing Panjana incentive to encourage companies to relocate to Malaysia. I think that's uh, it's, it's a fantastic uh, incentive. You can't get anything better than that. And I think that one has now been extended for another two years, uh, which is good because, you know, you don't want to extend it or provide it permanently. You want to encourage people to move here quickly. So uh, that way we can at least drive up the FDIs quickly rather than over a longer period of time. So I think uh, some of these, uh, you know, extensions uh, will, will serve the purpose of trying to get the investors here. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, incentives for investors are probably, you know, just, uh, you know, icing on, on the cake. But in what they are really looking for is the ease of doing business and the policies and procedures that, that are being pre- imposed by the country. I think even the last couple of days, you know, the Malaysia's ratification of CPTPP, CPTPP uh, also, you know, put us in a good uh, light in improving our competitiveness, in attracting some of these investments and again, expand some of these trade opportunities. And, you know, at the end of the day, when there's, there's growth uh, in the economic environment, again, it, you know, it's, it means just more money in our riot's pocket. We have, um, let's say, two minutes left with both of you. Is there a final message or a takeaway message, take-home message you'd like to give on Budget 2023? Maybe I'll go first. Uh, I, I would say it's uh, very comprehensive, covers you know all sectors of uh, you know the, the, the economy, the people, and what's needed uh, for us to propel forward to grow. Um, it's also good to see that there was really no need for us to introduce uh, new taxes at this point in time. So, you know, there was a lot of talk about GST and whether Chukai Magmo will make a comeback as 2.0 or something. So it's good to see that none of them are in the budget. But at the same time, uh, despite not having any of these new taxes, uh, we have gotten to a place where it is, uh, you know, fiscally fairly manageable. Yeah, uh, again, uh, like what Jack did mention, the budget is a lot more inclusive this time and it's good to see that it's not just, uh, you know, one-off cash assistance here and there. Uh, There's a lot of thought being put through about the overall ecosystem. Uh, But then again, um, as, you know, pressure is always there, uh, implementation and how it actually trickles down uh, to the rakyat is the more important uh, question that we will wait to hear. Jagdev, Marina, thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you very much. That was Jagdev Singh, tax leader, and Marina Chemokta, deals partner of economics and policy at PwC Malaysia. Unpacking, weighing in on Budget 2023, you've been listening to the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9. This BFM Budget 2023 special was brought to you by Ma Singh. Reinvent spaces, enhance life. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.